Our second reading is found in the first chapter of Acts. I'll read this for us, but certainly I'd like for you to follow along in your own Bible or in your bulletin insert. Acts 1, I'll begin to read at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Earlier we read Luke's version of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and you've heard me speak of the Gospels before in terms of the fact they're like siblings. They have the same DNA, and yet there are many differences. Lots of similarities, but many differences. You know, there are some things that we find in all of the Gospels. There are some things that we find in only one of the Gospels. Like the woman caught in the act of adultery, you'll only find that in John 8. That wonderful parable of the prodigal son, you'll only find in Luke 15. But the Gospels have all four of them key on important and significant events. Like the feeding of the 5,000, like Jesus' passion, and of course his crucifixion, like the resurrection which we'll celebrate next Lord's Day, and like this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And if you take the time to read about this day in all four Gospels, you can see that each author reports on this very significant day in his own way. And as you read, it's interesting to pick up on the similarities as well as some of the differences. All of the Gospels have Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt or a foal. All speak of praises offered to God that day. 
Matthew, Mark, and John, which is an interesting trio. Usually it's the synoptic gospels that are the same, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Matthew, Mark, and John each mention branches of trees and plants and, and thus the name Palm Sunday. And they each have people crying out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, following what would have been known to them a well-known verse found in Psalm 118. But Luke is a little different. This passage that we read just a moment ago in our first reading is just a little different than Matthew, Mark, and John. I believe Luke is describing the early part, the early part of this Palm Day parade in which Jesus' disciples participate, because according to Luke, it's the disciples that started off, and just the disciples. In other words, not bystanders, not pilgrims who are on their way to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, not gawkers, not rubberneckers slowing down to see what in the world is going on here, but just disciples. And when it comes to what they say, they also follow that well-known verse out of Psalm 118, but they add a word that's not there. Instead of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it's blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think that's Luke's way of saying that Jesus' disciples, they knew who he was. He wasn't just the Redeemer, just the Savior, just the Messiah. He's the King. He's Lord. He's ruler. He's sovereign. And in our text today, in Acts 1, we see this sovereign Lord go back to His rightful place, to heaven with his father, as Luke describes for us what we typically refer to as the ascension here in this first chapter of his church history known as the Acts. The Palm Sunday parade proclaims what the ascension confirms, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's King of kings and Lord of lords. And just like the truth of the resurrection is echoed all throughout the New Testament, so is this truth echoed and found in significant passages over and over through the New Testament that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's King. Passages like Philippians 2, where you may remember that Paul is actually teaching on humility. And as he teaches on humility, he needs a good illustration. And so he gives us that wonderful Christ hymn we have there at the beginning of Philippians 2, where he talks about how Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but, but emptied himself, lowered himself, took on the form of flesh, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And, and Paul's finished his teaching on humility with those words, but he can't stop because he knows that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Lord. 
And so he continues to say, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Lord. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Or think of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, where he prays that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, according to the working of His great might, which He accomplished in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and made Him sit at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. In his catechism for the church of Geneva in 1545, John Calvin wrote that Christ's ascension to the right hand of God simply means that Jesus Christ reigns over heaven and earth. The right hand of God, Calvin said, is a metaphor taken from princes who like to place at their right hand those whom they call their vice-regents. In other words, to declare that Jesus is king is the same thing to say that God is king. And to say that God is in control, like we like to do, you know, God's sovereign, He's in control, is to say that Jesus is in control. Because He and the Father are one, as Jesus Himself teaches in John 10. And so the question becomes for us, do we believe that? That Jesus is King. That He's in control. And maybe more importantly, do we not only believe that, but do we live like we believe that Jesus is Lord of our lives? Sometimes around this time of the year, and of course more so at Christmas, there are opportunities to hear some or all of Handel's Messiah And if the hallelujah chorus is sung, people stand up, or at least some do. And it's interesting why people say they stand up. Some are traditionalists. They stand because people have been standing for more than 250 years during the singing of the hallelujah chorus, going all the way back to King George II, or so the story goes, You know, he went to the London premiere of Handel's Messiah in 1743 and either was so moved by the music or so cramped from sitting for so long that he stood, as the story goes, during the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus. I would like to think that it was because he was so moved, not just by the music, but also the message, the words that Handel's choir is singing at that particular time. But if you go to a performance today of the Messiah in some setting other than a church or a worship service, you'll see some people stand up during the Hallelujah course and some remain seated. The secularists maintain there's no reason for them to stand. 
And the traditionalists say, we've always stood up and nobody's changing now. And the Christians say, what better way to show our devotion to God than as we listen to those words of Scripture to stand in honor of the King. I mean, think about it. Handel set the meaning of the ascension and the sovereignty of God in Christ to earthly music for all time using those marvelous words of Revelation eleven fifteen, Handel has his choir sing, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. That's a promise from Scripture, that He will reign forever and ever. And we need to understand what that means. That means that the greatest truth about each of us is that our lives are always under the rule of Jesus Christ, the one who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that's true whether we know it or whether we acknowledge it or not. Secular people may just sit right there in their seats during the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus, in some ways they are akin to the crowds of non-disciples that we read about in Matthew, Mark, and John's version of the triumphal entry, you know, who kind of became excited with all these other disciples saying all of these things. They heard what they were saying. Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe this guy can actually overthrow Rome for a change. They sort of became excited that day, but just a few days later, what were they saying? Crucify. Crucify. But remember what Luke tells us. These disciples cried out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. You see the difference between the church and the world, the difference between the spiritual and and the secular, is that in the church, Jesus is confessed as Lord. We know He's the King. We know He's ruler. We know that He's sovereign. Whereas in the world, His name is still profaned. And His will is ignored. But guess what? The same Lord... The very same king still rules over the church and the world. Those who call him king and those who refuse to. He still rules over them all. And one day, as scripture tells us, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth. And proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Handel got it right. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And if that doesn't make you want to say hallelujah, nothing will. Amen? Amen.